I'm Bradley Rolfe. I'm Colin Healy. And we're grown-up theater kids. This is not the podcast we planned. Episode 2 is about dismantling racism in the theater community, and it features a bunch of guests from all over the region giving their takes on how we can best overcome it. And it's going to be really awesome. And it's coming. But it's not done yet. And as has become our little de facto mantra here, we'd rather it be good than on time. So while this is the second episode of Grown Up Theater Kids, this is not episode two. So, episode 1A, not what we planned. Not what we planned is kind of the theme of the whole year, isn't it? Yeah, so in light of that, we decided to sit down and reflect on what that's meant to us each individually. It's Wednesday. This podcast comes out on Friday. So we decided today it just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to get finished. So Bradley and I decided to, like he said, reflect on what it means to, you know, not have what we planned. We each took an hour to prepare a rant or essay, if you're generous, and we've just sat down to share those with each other for the first time in a sort of a public therapy session. Colin? Some of my friends have a joke about me. When we're trying to make a plan to hang out, you know, when hanging out with other people was a thing, they'll say, Oh, are we going to hang out at, like, a normal time? Or at SCT? SCT stands for Standard Colin Time. Standard Colin Time means very late, and not for very long. I really do have the privilege of doing what I love. I really do make a living in the theater. But when I say that to people, the image that they conjure up is way different from reality. In fact, that was kind of the genesis of this podcast. No, my living is made in long hours as a cog in a machine that needs more cogs but can't afford them. My living is made in writing and editing and teaching and producing and artistic directing, whatever that means, and piecing all those things together to make my rent each month. That's SCT. Now, SCT has its advantages. The pressure of a deadline pushes out ideas and inspiration. I'll hop out of the shower to write down a piece of a lyric. In the car, I'll turn voice memos on and record whatever melody is bouncing around in my head. And at night, when I'm trying to sleep, nascent stories keep me awake. But just as winter does for daylight savings time, so did the coronavirus pandemic for standard Colin time. Suddenly, I had time. From my perch in quarantine, I didn't even know how much time I had. All the deadlines were, and largely still are as I'm recording this, pushed back to some unknown future date whenever things get back to normal. My showers are now uninterrupted. 
My car rides, when I have to take them, are silent. And I've been sleeping really, really well. Quarantine has been a turducken of experiments. A domestic experiment inside of a social experiment inside of the obvious pathological experiment. What can I do at home, domestic, becomes what am I expected to do at home, social, becomes when is it safe to leave home, pathological. What can I do at home? Well, I really just want to sit here and watch Netflix, but shouldn't I work out or write or something? Wouldn't people think better of me if I came out of this thing 20 pounds thinner with a whole new musical? Maybe I should go for a bike ride or sneak down to the studio. Can I? Is that safe? Probably not. When the clocks are set to SCT, my mind is occupied for me. But when they're not, there's a void. Occupying your own mind is hard, and I'm an only child, so you'd think I'd be good at entertaining myself. I mean, I played enough one-person baseball games as a child. you think I would be good at it. Right-hander against the right-hander. The outfield is straight up and deep on fielder. Having time in America, as we have found out, is unsustainable. The system relies on the people who have the least of it. As an only child, pandemic-era America is a parent who has to work at night. We ask, what is there for dinner? America says, figure it out. And we look in the freezer, and there's no money or health care or entertainment, so you venture to that other freezer in your house. You know the one. And there it is. A trove of special little treats America has long forgotten about. Stacks and stacks of shrink-wrapped, oversized portions of time. Figure it out, they said. Well, what am I possibly going to do with all this time? And suddenly, it's gone. You wake up engorged. Wet shrink wrap all around you on the basement or garage floor, wherever that freezer is. You don't know what day it is. How long was I out? How am I going to pay for all this time? America is going to be so mad whenever it gets home. Suddenly it's back to work, and work, the same one I loved weeks, days, millennia, some amount of time ago, seems like I'm just doing it to keep myself occupied. Deadlines feel nebulous, demands feel optional. I'm still sleeping very, very well. I don't know if it's burnout. I don't think it's fair to call it that. I haven't really been doing anything to get tired of. And it's not quite like being overwhelmed, because I think that's more when there's too much of one thing, which there isn't, or a bunch of new things that I need to learn how to do, and there aren't. I don't think it's this either, but my old shrink once described depression as, you're lying on the couch and there's $10,000 over on the table across the room. All you need to do is get up and get it and it's yours. But you can't. Now, while I can attribute multiple other aspects of my life during COVID to depression. 
I don't really think this is one of them. No, this is new. It's a feeling for which I don't have a word. I don't think there is one yet, because we're still living through what will become the definition of it. The clock snapped back to SCT, and I'm having a really hard time adjusting. It's like jet lag, but I'm too scared to fly. At the time of recording this, I turned 30 in two days. Taxes are due in a week. I'm not ready for either one of those events. I guess being grown up isn't all peaches and one-person baseball games. That one is long gone. Time for another hot take lightning round. What? You know the rules. I do not. Yes, you do. It's the thing we always do and have always done. In between segments, we always stop to ask each other to give rapid fire opinions on a variety of theater related subjects. We have each secretly selected three prompts for which the other will give an off the cuff response. I have not prepared that. Yes, you did. Editing. Wow, I guess I have. It's Hot Take Lightning Round. All right, Colin, I'll go first. I'll, I'll give you the first word. I'll say one thing. You tell me what you think about it. You don't know the things I've selected. I don't know the things you've selected. There we go. We're clear on the rules. Great. Wait, I'm not ready. Too bad. Overtures. I don't like them. I hate to say it. I, I was listening to the Entracht, which is... The intermission overture. It's, it's, no, it's the it's overture reprise. And, <laughs> and um, I was listening to the Entracht of Merrily We Roll Along the other day, and I was like, God, this is really good. But I also don't like Entrachts, because it's like... even I mean, and Sondheim talks about this, you know, all, everything's in service to clarity of the story. And yeah. it's like, Overture set up the themes, yeah, but like, it's redundant. And it's just like, get me to the thing I, that I came to see. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would, I love going to the symphony. I love watching music without words, but I don't come to the theater for that. Gymnatoriums. Gymnatoriums. Um, I do not want to do anything with them at all. However, we talk here a lot about access. And I think the fact that they exist and the fact that they get used is a very good thing because someone's getting to use some space. Especially in this town, we've got a lot of people wanting to do a lot of theater, and we don't have that many dedicated theater spaces. So the fact that they exist and the fact that they get used is a good thing. When it comes to putting on a piece of art in them, they are not desirable places to do things. And, I, and I've, I've, I've seen and performed in good shows in gymnatory... Well, yeah, good shows in gymnatory... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is one of those art through adversity situations. And when you understand the challenge you have, I, I have seen spaces that are more dedicated to theater used in worse ways than I've seen gymnatoriums used. It, it's, it's in the way you use it. Amen. Spectacle. Musical theater is inherently about spectacle. It is what defines the genre, even in next to normal 
let's say, a six-person show that is very intimate. Uh, originally on Broadway was done with two giant purple eyeballs staring at the audience the whole time from above the set. And it, that's a spectacle. And, and really was in service of the plot. Um, and I would make that argument as intimate as you want to go. Falsettos has the cube. Mm-hmm. That's spectacle. Um, and it can be used in a great way. I do think because it is so inherent to the genre, there are many times where a weak script will hide behind spectacle and therefore do better than it otherwise would have. But Hey, cats has a bunch of Tony's and I don't. There you go. Black box theaters that aren't black. (laughs) Black box theaters that aren't black. I I do I don't care. It's it's a term. Uh, when I think of a black box theater, I do imagine a space that is painted black. However, when I if I'm going to define a black box theater, I'm not going to mention the fact that it's painted black in my definition. I'm going to talk about the fact that it is a blank canvas room that can be set up in any variety of ways. It probably has you know a grid over top the entire ceiling so you can hang lights however wherever you want to and build your stage and set your audience however, wherever you want to. I don't think I've ever been in a black box theater that isn't painted black, so I can't speak to the experience of performing or seeing a show in that type of space. Colin in the future here. Uh, While I was editing this, I realized that I know for a fact that Bradley has been in a black box that is not black. In fact, he's been in a black box that's white. The Duet in the KDHX building, right down the street from this very studio, also in the Grand Center Arts District in St. Louis. Practically a neighbor of ours, the Nerve. That's the very room where our good friend and friend of the Grown Up Theater Kids podcast, Taylor Grunlow, premiered his play, Ectopic, which was very good. Bradley Rolfe, and I can't overstate this enough, is a liar. You think you know people? Uh, On a... On a philosophical level, it does not bother me, but I could be proven wrong if I ever experienced it. Love you, Bradley. Back to the past. Bradley, in the future future here, uh, Colin didn't tell me he was going to do that little drop-in, but as I'm the one who uploads the podcast, uh, I guess I get the last word. The duet is a gallery. When we saw that show, it was an adapted theater space not a black box still great to see a show in didn't bother me uh but not a black box adapted adapted space so colin healy and i cannot overstate this enough is a little sneak anyway back to the past for real this time my turn uh operetta Ooh, so Let's go back. Operetta, typically in the early 20th century, with composers like Sigmund Romberg and Kurt Weill, was like, um, you know, a, a three or four act light opera, so to speak. And, and there was there was book. It, it was the first iteration of a book musical, but had more of its roots in, in, in opera and classical music. So you had stuff like, if you look back, like The Student Prince, um, which is, was a film as well. And, um, three penny opera where we got Mac the knife, you mm-hmm. know, and all that. 
Um, those are operettas and they have some great stories. I particularly like street scene a lot, which is an operetta. Go, go look it up. It's cool. worth your time. Now I think going on the light opera thing, mm-hmm. we use the term operetta. At least I do. Maybe I'm erroneous in this, but to, to mean an almost sung through musical opera, meaning sung through yeah. period. There's never a book. There's never book in opera, whether it's classical music or now. Like falsettos is an opera. Uh, Carolina Change is pretty much an opera. There's very, very the dialogue is all underscored at least. Yeah, that's cool. So my opinion on it, it's rad. It's it's um the line between book musical operetta and opera does not matter to me. Like tell me a good story, and I won't notice what form you're doing it in. Cool. Is this the last one? Yeah intermissions intermissions I, I really like shows that don't have intermissions um you know give me a good like an 80 minute play a 90 100 minute musical with no intermission uh i'm way into that i don't have a problem with intermission and i think it's once again it comes back to uh you know the the form serving the story if you've got you know, so many musicals are written with the intermission in mind, so you have this big act break in the drama, and, you know, it, it makes sense to take some sort of pause from the action because we've come to accept that and, and expect that. And I've also worked theater concessions as a bartender, so when I wore that hat, I really liked him because that meant more tips. Follow-up question. Why do you think it's acceptable to present a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie without an intermission? But a two and a half hour musical always has an intermission because the seats are more comfortable. It could be an oversimplified answer, but it could be also the correct answer. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Essay prompt. What is your biggest fear? My greatest... Wait, oh, that's the wrong one. Um, (laughs) What has been your biggest challenge as a theater artist amid the coronavirus pandemic? Okay. Actually, before I answer this one, I'm going to answer the other one. What is your greatest fear? My greatest fear is being misunderstood, and this manifests itself in two ways. One, I say nothing at all on any topic, because if I offer no words, they cannot be misinterpreted. No false connotation can be applied to a statement that is not there. Or, two, I say a whole bunch of words because each word can carry any number of connotations depending on the delivery and the audience, and so I need to pause and clarify every claim so you know where I'm coming from and what I'm trying to get at, right? Right. So, as a preface to my response, because I'm just as insecure as everybody else, and I don't want to be truly transparent or vulnerable, I want to set the expectation that I may hedge a lot. And that hedging is not outright obfuscation, but driven by fear and the irrational belief that I have any control over my messaging. All that to say, biggest struggle as a theater artist since COVID I thought it would be the work itself, the energy, the purpose. But as I really reflect, it's not 
about missing the spotlight, the music, the grease paint, the clowns, I don't necessarily feel a vocational emptiness. Why is that? Maybe it's because I've cultivated a skill of compartmentalization. Yes, we had an opening scheduled last weekend, and I suppose I missed it, but it's been rescheduled. It will happen. Sure, I would have liked to have been rehearsing all June and lifting the proverbial curtain on my directorial debut, but I don't feel that loss on a visceral level because I've been able to see it not as a loss but as something deferred. Heck, I've waited for things before. That's something I know how to do. No big deal, right? And yes, I realize I may be unique in this ability. And if you're worried about me stifling my emotions, thanks, but no need. I know the trope of stuffing your feelings, but I feel I know myself well. Close friends have described me as painfully self-aware, so I'm pretty sure I'm actually fine. It's possible I'm a robot. Here come the test results. Don't you call me a mindless philosopher, you overweight glob of grease. You are a horrible person. You cannot conquer the world with disco fever! But regardless of how I mitigate my feelings, I'm not blind to the effect the pandemic has had. Everyone is suffering a trauma right now, myself included. By some degree, life rhythms have changed for each individual, and whether or not it appears on the surface, that is a real shock to the system. And I'm no pop psychologist, but I'm pretty sure that shouldn't be ignored. So, as I've investigated the effect of this upheaval on my life in the theater, the biggest challenge for me has been loneliness. And I struggle to use that word, because I feel like it carries so much weight, and I don't see myself as someone who has to deal with weighty things. I'm extremely medium. I've, I've seen lonely people, and they're not me. Or, or rather, I don't feel like a lonely person. I don't, I don't want to be seen as a lonely person. As the not-that-famous song lyric goes, Loneliness and solitude are two things not to get confused. I have long held this as a personal mantra, and if we're going to play the personality game... I fall on the introverted side of things, so solitude is a practice I exercise regularly. But I'm also not blind to the fact that while this can be an encouraging statement, it can also be used as an excuse. I don't know if I've ever been described as the life of the party, but I have been invited back. I don't need mass social interaction, but I do enjoy it, and I rarely have to work too hard at it. But wait, so loneliness, and that's probably something lots of people are experiencing in at least a greater degree than normal due to physical distancing measures, but what does it have to do with being a theater artist? Well, while it's not a key function of the work, I've realized that socialization is an adjacent feature within theater and especially for someone who dedicates a preponderance of their free time towards theater-related activities, this community is one of my key sources 
for socialization. See, so many relationships are built on proximity socialization. Most people make their best friends in school because whether elementary, high school, or college, what you got is a bunch of people jammed into a limited square footage, so you're bound to make nice with someone. And in my adult life, the theater is where that has happened for me. It's grabbing a bite after rehearsal, it's cast party on cast party, because you can't have just one, it's inside jokes, and on and on. I mean, how do you make a friend in kindergarten? You walk up to someone, say, Hi, my name is Bradley, what's yours? And that basically hasn't changed. It's just happening in different locations and situations. But now, many of those locations and situations have been removed. Like I said before, I've never had to work too hard because my de facto situation has placed me into social arenas. And that feature of my life is not the same right now. So I have to do the work of instigating if I want to have a conversation. Also, side note, the number of times I used the word socialization to describe the act of hanging out with friends in the past minute or so is a solid tally in the possibly robot column. Not me! Not me! Not me! Not me! Dab! I hate them so much! I think if it were not for our good fortune as a theater company, having access to space and equipment, and a pre-existing plan for digital content, as well as an existing infrastructure of writers, I would be feeling the pangs of missing the work more. But once again, that compartmentalization, I can defer that work more easily because I have a similar work in front of me. The process, the projects, the energy is certainly different, but I'm able to put my creative talents to use doing this. So, I, I don't know, I, uh, with the prompt directed at me, the individual, I kind of hoped my response might speak to something larger communally. Maybe it did. Or maybe this is just like all the love songs I've ever written. They're secretly just all about me. You good? Yeah. You want to read credits? Grown Up Theater Kids is a production of Fly North Theatricals, hosted by me, Colin Healy. And me, Bradley Rolfe. Recorded in our Studio B in the beautiful Grand Center Arts District in St. Louis, Missouri, in residence with the Kranzberg Arts Foundation. For more content, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And for exclusive content, consider supporting us on Patreon. The music in today's episode was arranged, performed, and largely composed by my friend Colin Healy. But there were some loving rip-offs. Think you can spot them? If you can, send your guesses on the Talk to Us forum on flynorttheatricals.com contact. If you're right, we'll herald your praises on the next episode. And thanks for everything. That includes listening.